Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Grant Aldrich. Grant, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Yeah, Kevin, thanks for having me. I appreciate you joining us. It's, uh, you know, we've had a little bit of time to chat here before we hit the, hit the magic record button. But tell our listeners a little bit about Grant Aldrich. Oh, well, I'll, I'll try to give the, uh, Start you know, when you were eight and, you know, where you didn't get the pony for your birthday and how right, it changed exactly. your life. Yeah. No, I was thinking more of the tactful version. You know, there's, okay. there, there's like a, there's a very foul version of how poorly I do everything, but I'll, I'll leave that out. Um, you know, I'm a, uh, I, I kind of consider myself a father, an entrepreneur, uh, and a philanthropist. Those are the things I'm most proud of. And um, where did I get, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I've spent the last 18 years, I'm a lifer, mm. started right out of school as an entrepreneur, um, all in startups and tech, and I'm still doing it. And I think that's where I'm just going to go the rest of my, you know, the, the rest of my professional career. Um, and I'm a proud father of three, which aside from my life there is heavily influenced by. And um, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I guess that'd be me in a nutshell. And um, I, I think I heard on another podcast that you are in, uh, you're from God's country, the, uh, the uh, <laughs> summer home of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> that's right. So God's, that's awesome. I never heard that said, never said like that. Yeah, you know, that was a very weird thing, right? So yeah, from Thousand Oaks, California, a little town that was mostly known for filming all of the Westerns in Hollywood, right? Because it was just far enough from LA, but you know, rural. And everybody here is a Dallas Cowboys fan, oddly. And it was because, yeah, we had our, the, the Dallas Cowboys training camp for here years. at CLU for now, years. Yeah. Now, I, I so love I remember. the, uh, you, I think you told a story about uh, Herschel Walker on another, another I podcast. Did, yeah. I think it was, he, was he one of like maybe the most famous cowboy you ever met? He was. Oh, you know, he was the most memorable. Because at mm -hmm. the time, I think when I was there, he was in his first few years, he was definitely an all-star. And I remember going there and after the, their, their training practices, you could kind of walk on and meet some of them uh, afterwards. Or maybe it was a special event, but we yeah. did it. And I remember going up to Herschel Walker and looking up at him. And he was such a gentleman. He was, he was, he was just as awesome as he is today. And he was such a gentleman. You could just tell he was a hardworking guy. I'm like, I'm like, would you sign my baseball card? He's like, give me that. Of course. <laughs> he just signed my card. <laughs> I, um, I was at a, at an event in Springfield, Missouri when I was post college and it was, it was right after Tom Landry got fired and, um, I met him at an event and he, he was that same, you know, class character that, that Herschel was, I mean, it, yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, he, he was everything that I had envisioned he was going to be when I met him. And, um, but I, I remember um, the trade when they, the Cowboys traded Herschel to the Minnesota Vikings for like half of their kingdom. And it yeah. just completely changed the Cowboys team. But I didn't call you to talk about the Cowboys, although I could do that all <laughs> night long. I actually wanted to hear your story. And uh, so kind of walk us through maybe the last 18 years of, you know, say post high school and and just some of the just quick highlights of some of the things that you've been involved with. Yeah, you know, um, it's weird. When I look back at my prior career, I actually look at um, that 
I kind of like one of being misguided in a way. Like, I think I did a lot of the right things, but I think that my philosophy was a little off. I'll, I'll get to that. But I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, which is weird, even from a very young age, um, like elementary school, like, you know, like a young kid, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And the funny thing is I had no entrepreneurs in my life. I didn't really know what that was, but I knew that it would bring me freedom. And that was the, that was the thing that I could glean from that. And it was going to be the freedom for me to have creative expression and to do what I wanted to do. It was never about the money. And I could, cause I think you could argue that there's probably a lot of professions that you could, could, you could safely make more consistent money, right? If you want to go be partner of a law firm, but you don't have the freedom. And that always appealed to me. So the minute I got to college, I went right into a startup. I got working into a group. My, uh, I ended up leaving and creating my, uh, one of my own. And from there on out, I've just been, I've founded these different startup companies. And now the one thing that now I'll kind of tie that story back together. After my last, I was really lucky that I got an exit or two exits on my last startups um, about four years ago. And I, I had a period of introspection where I really asked myself, you know, what I want to do next. And I realized how unhappy I was from all of that period of time. And the reason was, was because in my pursuit of freedom, I became a slave. And that is really easy to do. And I go out and talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on how to avoid that. And I've kind of distilled down what the secret is because every day when I would go to work, I basically made myself a slave in this pursuit of success, thinking that freedom was something you obtain at the end of some tunnel, as opposed to something that you live and enjoy every single day. That was my my critical flaw and mistake. And so I vowed never to let that happen again. And I've got a whole philosophy to help other people avoid that. So I'm, I'm curious. So did the successful exit give you the space to be able to kind of discover that? Because, you know, it, I think people sometimes they're so caught up in the hamster wheel that they really never have that time to kind of breathe and, and unplug and, and really think, you know, uh, really think deeply and really kind of contemplate, you know, what is that the, the best next step I can take? You're right. I think that's the biggest thing is that in, in, in the whole rat race and all the pressures of life, we never give ourselves that time. And it's a shame. So yes. So I would say that the, the exit gave me the flexibility to take a little bit of time off. You know, I had about four or five months to do it and then not stress about it. So mm -hmm. yes, but it wasn't actually what triggered it. What triggered it, which is a long story, but I'll give you the, 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 the summary, was that I was, um, the, 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 basically I'll give you kind of the story. So 2015 was the best year ever. I had um, got married, we exited the company on December 31st, and then I also, my wife got pregnant with our first son. Just, it was a pretty much, I don't think I'll ever top that year. It's it was quite amazing. a Christmas. Yeah, it was quite a Christmas. <laughs> so that February, when I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go bigger. I've got all these dreams of what we want to do at this point, And I want to you know, take this and I want more employees, bigger company, XXX. Uh, I almost drowned while I was mm. swimming up in Northern California. And uh, I, I was convinced I shouldn't have been out there. It was a surf advisory. It was one of the roughest beaches in the country. And I, at that moment, I was convinced I was dead. And it was, it was amazing to me how it could all end in an instant. Mm. 
And at that point, that's really what triggered the process of me reevaluating things saying, am I even happy? What am I doing here? If I could just, if I could just end all instantly, am I making the best use of that time? And that's really what did it. Well, I, I, I certainly want to dive into what you're doing now and kind of that epiphany, that business epiphany that you had that, you know, the startup that you're involved in now, but I, I don't want to just run by this too quickly. I, I want to spend some time just kind of camping out a little bit on the, the whole idea of, uh, your philosophy of like, if you're talking to our, our listeners about, you know, that they're thinking about, you know, jumping into the startup space and, and trying to develop a business idea and things like this, what are, what are some of the crucial steps that, that are, if, if they're not steps, maybe just even, even the ethos or the DNA of, of a successful startup that you think you've discovered in the last say few years? Yeah, I think, and that's what all this really came to. It's a good question. And, um, the number one thing that I think will dictate, it's like the most important thing if you're an entrepreneur and if you're going to start a, create a startup is to know thyself. Mm. And so, you know, you and I both have a, a large entrepreneur network. And so we, you know, and, and as entrepreneurs, we love the exercise of coming up with ideas. You come up with ideas. It's, it's fun. And, it, and it's part of that mental exercise to get you working through it. So you come up with ideas and I'll ask you this. You would probably agree with me on this. I have never heard of anyone when they're talking about the business idea, they ask themselves, is this the right business for me? And I don't mean in their skill sets. I just mean for them personally, it rarely comes up. It's always the traditional considerations. Like does the business scale? Do I have the experience? Do I have right. the network and people? It's never like, is this business purely fitted for me? Cause I think what people don't realize is the business will fail or succeed based on you as the founder. And it always takes longer than you think. Mm -hmm. Even for me, I'm, this is like my fourth rodeo and I still always get it wrong. I always think it'll take two years, it takes four. So because it's such a long haul, it's a marathon, people delude themselves into thinking, oh, I'll just get it done real quick, it'll be fast, I can suffer through anything, you know, even if I don't love this, but it's a fatal mistake. Because number one, you're gonna fail is if the founder gets burnt out. Mm -hmm. So a good example. I that's automatic. Use, that's an automatic yeah, failure point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So if the one I like to use this, if, if you're a board shorts guy, right, you want to be mm -hmm. in board shorts all day long. Why on earth would you pick a business that you have to suit up and go and do sales and do and be suited up all day long? Yep. You're going to be miserable. Yeah. Or another example would be if you're a terrible manager, why would you have a ton of employees that you have to, that, 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 you know, would eat mm -hmm. up all of your day and people do this all the time. And I gotta say it's, it's actually an admirable quality because really what that shows of the entrepreneur is this quality like, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to be successful no matter what. But I think that even though you're going to have to do that anyway, late stage of the business, you have the opportunity early in the business to create a business model that sets you up for success if you know yourself. Is it important too to... Um... I mean, you, you hear people talk about lifestyle businesses, you know, kind of building a, a business around a certain lifestyle that you want. I mean, my experience when I, when I hear people talking about that is that they're making just enough money to, to pay the rent on the van that they're living in, you know, <laughs> more so than, than people that are, you know, kind of on these, in these tech unicorns or whatever, but there's gotta be some happy medium. And it sounds like to me that you've almost, you know, you're, you're right at the cusp of you know, cracking this nut that says, you know, I, I am concerned about, you know, the hard work and the grind that it takes to start it, but I'm also concerned about 
the, the passion that I feel about it, you know, getting, getting me out of bed in the morning, but without destroying my family in the process or without destroying my health in the process or whatever. So how do, how do you balance that? And, or is there, is there such thing as a balance? No, I think you're totally right. You nailed it. I think that there's this false dichotomy, which is that on one end, you've got, I'm going to raise money and I have to work 80 weeks. And on the other end is that I'm going to have a lifestyle business where I work three hours a day and, uh, and I don't, you know, I, I don't let it stress me out. I agree with you. I think that's totally wrong. I think that what you pointed out is the exact right way to look at it, which is that, no, no, no. Having, to me, having a lifestyle business and, and a good quality of life is engineering your life to have all those key things where you're just happy every day. And that being the key thing. And some of that is some time constraints, possibly with family. But I think more of it is that, yeah, it's not conducive to your lifestyle. If I want to yep. be, if I am on my lunch break, if I want to be out there surfing and come back and get back to work, I can't do that if I'm, if I have a gig where I have to travel all day in a mm -hmm. suit. So to me, I think that it's just what really what that is, is that so few people to your earlier point ever really get to know themselves. And the context of this, by the way, I didn't make up that quote that for your listeners who don't know where that comes from. That comes from ancient Greece. 3,000 years ago, that was kind of known as the one true wisdom. On top of the Temple of Apollo, they had that written. And the logic was, how could you know anything if you don't know yourself? How could you ever be wise if you don't first know yourself? Right. And so, yeah, I think that that's all wrong, that dichotomy about the lifestyle versus like, no, you can do it. You just have to know yourself. So walk us through the kind of the, the time that you had, you know, the space to, to kind of think about this and, you know, what was my next step after, after my successful exit and where did you land? I mean, what, and I guess walk us through the process a little bit about, okay, I considered this and I considered this and I considered this and all of a sudden, well, I, you know, I had this half of the egg and this half the egg and I put them together and wow, there it was. Yeah. So we can, yeah. When we step out of the abstract, we'll kind of talk about like how at least my process and give some examples. Absolutely. So they, so they got it. Yeah. It's a good idea. So regardless of the business idea, I want, I'll wait to the end on that because I think that for the context of all the listeners and other entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. It's about yourself. So for me, I said in that process, I said, you know what? I want to spend more time with family. And by spending more time with family, I don't want to drive into an office anymore. I want to be home. I want to work really hard. I don't want to kill an hour and a half. That time's valuable. And I want to be able to go take a 15 minute break and say hi to my kids and come back. So that was it. Virtual organization done. I remember my previous startups, it was such a grind driving to the office every mm -hmm. day and doing this nonsense and all these other things. Yep. And so that was the first thing. And then that of course, inter that was interweaved with the fact that I had the realization I'm a terrible manager. I'm just awful at it. I'm not good because I expect people to just be goal oriented and I'm not the kind of person who's going to come in there and, you know, and, you know, talk around the water cooler. That's just not my style, which makes me a bad manager. So because of that, I knew that I can't have it that worked. I didn't have an office. Um, we'd have a very flat organization. Um, and so, you know, these things start dictating what kind of business you're going to have. And I think another key one would be, I wanted something with purpose. Mm -hmm. I felt that in my prior startups, you know, you get up and you go to work and, you know, most people, they pick an idea because it will make the most money. There's nothing wrong with that. That's totally fine. But I knew now that after so many startups and the fact that it'll go so long, you really have to care. 
You need to care about it or you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. When you have an infinite amount of businesses you could create, why not create something you care about and that you really enjoy? And I wanted, and so again, my previous life, I was working with pharmaceutical companies, nothing wrong with that, but you don't, you know, you don't get all excited going to work every day to make <laughs> exactly. that money. So in this Got world, a new diabetes drug, I am pumped to get out of yeah, bed. Exactly. Today. Yeah, yeah, right. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, sure. I, I'm glad those things exist, Absolutely. but it wasn't for me. So that was another key part too. And so anyway, that kind of gives an example that when you start layering those things on top, it starts to eliminate a lot of the, the ideas that didn't seem like bad business ideas, but in fact, were. let me ask you, go back to that third point real quick, just to, you, you talked about purpose. So, you know, you've got entrepreneurs out there that say it doesn't matter what the business is. You just gotta, you just gotta pick something that you're good at, that people will pay for, that you can make money at and go for it. Others are saying, boy, you have got to be passionate about it. I mean, all in, love what you do, that type of thing. And there's, there's very little middle ground. I mean, it's, it's like we got two camps. It's almost like politics. We, we are definitely polarized in those two camps. But it, it seems like to me that, and I'm not trying to you know, shove you in one camp or the other, but it does seem like to me that, that a little bit, if I'm kind of trying to unpack your philosophy a little bit, is that you're saying that, you know, you're going to face tough times. You're, you're, you're going to be in a valley somewhere. It's a roller coaster and you're going to be in the valleys. The, the fact that you have a higher purpose to what you're doing will kind of pull you through those valleys where if you're just selling widgets, you may just jump off the train, you know, just kind of midstream. I mean, is that, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, it's, 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 a, I think you, I think you said it perfectly. You're right. I mean, I think the people that, that, um, that are based on the other camp, right? That you could just pick any idea. Hypothetically, that's true. And you know what? You can't argue. There's a lot of people who just do that and they're very successful. Right. But I think that for the most, for most people, happiness has to be the most important. You have to be happy. And I, I'm a real big believer that if you, if you aren't happy throughout all this period, well, then why are you doing this anyway? Yeah. Sure. You may actually create a startup that makes a million dollars a year and you, and that you think that'll make you happy, but the reality is it won't. Right. You know, money doesn't make people or shouldn't make people happy. It's 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 everything else. And so, I think the issue is that you know, do you really want to do something that you're miserable with every mm. single day? Yep. I mean, it's one thing if you have to go get a job and you have to support yourself, but if you're going to create a startup, have an idea, and you can engineer it where you'll enjoy it, well, why wouldn't you? What other part of life do we look at that way? I mean, the people we marry, the, the house we choose, the clothes we wear. I mean, we don't go to our closet and go, I'm going to pick the thing I hate the most and just put it on today and wear Suck it in the up. office. Yeah. You know, because it, it's clothes. It's just, it's a utility. It's just clothes. You know, I mean, if you're not Steve Jobs, you, you do care about what you're wearing. You know, so, but it, it's interesting that that would be the one thing that we, that we just wouldn't look at that way. You know, that, that that's, that's just so not true. important. So, um, I've yeah, never heard I've someone describe opinion, it that way. So. I've never heard someone describe it that way. Hey, you can right. use it. That's really no, no attribution necessary. Just go But I write the book one day. When <laughs> you write that book and I'll read it. I, I said that. Yeah, Kevin said that. He, he didn't even give credit me. Any credit. That's right. That's right. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I, I go through Grant's people to get the grant. I'm sorry. He's yeah. busy again. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing today. Yeah. So, you know, kind of now back to that purpose thing. You know, I, I realized that, um, I kept gravitating towards education. And I think it was because I'm gonna blame my parents. Uh, you know, they were all educators. 
I was very comfortable with this. So, you know, dinner table talk every night was about education. Their friends were education. It was something pretty natural. And one of the things that always bothered me was the fact that I had left college with a lot of debt. Mm-hmm. And I had seemingly done everything right. I'd gone, I graduated high school. I went to the best state school I could go to. And so I ended up going to UC Irvine. And I came in with basically a sophomore because of all the credits and things that I had earned. So I, you know, I did everything right. Affordable school, come in with a bunch of units. I still have a ton of debt. And I realized that after a while that that was something to be solved and that you had this huge, massive industry that people don't even realize is so big. Um, higher education is a $700 billion yep. industry. Yep. And you've got tons of, like probably estimated before COVID, 40 million people who wanted to go back to school but weren't taking that step. And it just started to coalesce where I started to see that, wow, there's a big opportunity here where I can actually do something I'll enjoy and solve a real problem. All right. I, I mean, you talk about launching, though, at a crucial point in, in the kind of the, the formal education space. I mean, this, the COVID is a game changer for, for a lot of universities, and they, they have to come up with a different business model, especially smaller private schools are, are really hurting, but, you know, based on attendance. And, you know, the kids are saying, why am I paying 40 grand a year for, you know, to, to go online? I, I can't even live at the university and have the college experience you know, at this, at this stage right now. So I'm, I'm just really interested in, in what you've seen really within the last, say, six to nine months, how that has changed, how, how you interface with colleges and how colleges, you know, are, are, are they more willing to now discuss being, you know, partnering with you? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. So much has changed. And those, those small schools are definitely at risk. You know, what, he's right. Why would you, the whole point appeal of a liberal arts education is this experience. Right. And if that's, if that really can't be duplicated online, well, how do you justify the price? So yes, all these things. So what I would say is that everything that we're doing and the, the trends that we saw before COVID, nothing's changed. It's just now hastened it. The die had already been cast yep. that online education was going to grow. So in that $700 billion industry, it was actually in decline. And the only segment that was growing was online. It was rapidly growing at like 50 billion. And now I'm sure this year it's going to be like the majority. Right. So all these things were already happening. Um, the, so I really think that now what COVID has done is it's just, it's forced the conversation. I'm sure this is true in many industries, but it's forced the conversation. It's forced it. So now universities have to go online. And the real debate at universities, just so everybody understands this, is that every university wants online. Mm-hmm. It's so much more profitable. You know, oh, yeah. you, you don't need, yeah, you don't need buildings. You don't need all these huge, heavy expenses. It, there's no or very little incremental cost to adding another student to an online program. You've got your upfront costs of creating the program. And whether you've got 10, 100, or 10,000 students is really negligible. And right. so it's all profit. Yeah. They, they love it. Uh, but the problem is, is that traditional uh, professors don't believe in online education. And that was the debate. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many universities, like those small schools, didn't have an online program. Well, mm-hmm. now, it's just been now an existential event yeah. and because those right. schools that didn't have that online for they are scrambling they're trying to get one up many are just going to go out of business and they're just going to shut their doors so i think in, what we're going to see in higher ed is 
a lot of closures. Mm -hmm. Those small liberal arts schools are going to be closed, which is yeah. a shame, but it's going to happen. Yeah. And online, which is now and has been arguably a far better medium for education, bar none, not even just in tech, but in everything, is going to win. And the schools that have adopted that are going to be the ones that benefit. It's interesting. I mean, I read an article about, you know, when you talk about kind of the A-list schools, Ivy Leagues, Stanford, you know, those schools, they, they have a waiting list. And even if kids leave because of the, of the change, they still have kind of a backup plan. But it does, it's not a trickle down, you know, plan because the, the B schools, the C schools, whatever, they don't have those backups and they're virtually just losing students without yeah. any, any students to replace them. But I'm, I'm interested, I, I wanna continue to have you drill down in your, in your business and talk about you know, your, uh, the online degree program, but I, I'm interested about like the hack, the hack your own education space versus, versus your business model. And is that, is that in your mind? Are you, you know, sitting in conference rooms with whiteboards thinking about how can we have a kind of a hybrid model you know, moving forward, like kids that say, I just want to talk about coding. I just want to talk about, you know, um, almost like a, a European, you know, um, education model versus a, a U.S. model that's that's very much specialized, you know, instead of yeah. you have kind of the half gen ed and then, then you specialize in that the last two years. How's that coming into play or what do you see that in your in your near future? Yeah, I actually know. I think that we are one of the groups spearheading and bringing order to the hack your education mm -hmm. movement. Because yeah. ultimately, so if the people who don't know what you're referring to is that rather than taking a traditional approach where someone enrolls in a four-year university, pays full price, takes every single course at university, by hacking your way, you can chip away at your requirements mm -hmm. and get there far faster at a much lower price and eliminating many of the courses you may not have wanted to take. And so that is the right way to do it. Like if I could go back in time, that's what I would do. And as part of that, it's an awareness thing and, and, and bringing structure to that because it's actually, it's really hard to hack your way in our current educational system. Yep. There are 7,000 universities, which most people don't realize is that many. Um, there are conflicting course requirements mm -hmm. and, and all these different rules and all, it's, it is a mess. And so someone trying to hack their way through it, it's a lot of work. And so we're trying to bring order to that entire process and awareness of that kind of process to help people do it. And that's why I think with a platform, we've been able to see such good results. Because also the gist of the platform is that someone can come onto our platform and it's a modern alternative to a community college. So you come on and in 60 seconds, with, um, with no applications, no entrance exams, you can begin taking college level courses online on your schedule that'll lower the price of your degree and you do it for free. And so by doing I'm that- sorry, did you, you hear that last word he said <laughs> and you do it for, what was that four letter word you used? Free. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to interrupt, go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right, that's the key, that was the key distinction, you're right. So, um, so you know, why would you go in the front door or drive to a community college three days a week if you're a busy adult when you can just go online be on the couch in the evening or when you're cooking dinner for the family, you can go and start chipping away, taking a bunch of courses towards your degree and lower the ultimate cost and time that you're going to be there. 
these self-paced? Are they are they on the schedules of the universities, or what's what's the the? I guess it may be a mix of of the two. But I mean, when you say I can start chipping away, can I? I mean, if I want to take an entire course in in three weeks, can I do that? You totally can. Yeah. So it's so just it's kind of self-paced. You know, if I can do it quicker, I can condense the time. Yep. All the courses are introductory so you don't mm -hmm. have any prereqs right they're all interesting stuff like intro to programming intro to robotics um all these all these different types of things really interesting stuff accounting and they're all self-paced online your time doing whatever you want and, and that was key because when i looked at the problem of higher education the constituent for higher ed has changed it's not that high school student that we all think of in our minds it's the working adult who's faced with incredible headwinds in this economy now yep. where you've got globalization, you've got robot automation, um, and all of these other headwinds taking away jobs. And so for them, you know, what, are you, what are you supposed to do if you've been in a manufacturing job mm. for 10 years yep. and uh, you have to go back to school? But that 40 or 50 million adults, again, that's pre-COVID, mm -hmm. they weren't taking that first step. Well, why? Well, it's because higher education is totally inaccessible. It's expensive. Right. It's scary. It's got all these problems. And so my vision with online degree was to have a solution that would break down those impediments for those working adults to make it easy to, to wade into the pool rather than jump in, lower the cost, right? So there's not the cost, get them to remove their anxiety. Hey, take some courses, see what you might want to be when you grow up right, in a very friendly environment, mm -hmm. and to remove the psychological impediments, like I can't do this, I won't be successful. Yes, you can. Prove you've got the time management to do this, you can do right. it. And the privacy of your own home. And you're not sitting of in a classroom home. of your peers and getting questions asked that you're going, uh, I, I don't know, you know. Exactly, right, and on your schedule where you can actually do exactly. it. And at the same time, having a solution that is not dependent upon one university. It, 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 it scales so that it's so that you can actually have something that would be university agnostic, hopefully, right. where no matter where that person wants to go, because there's so much choice out there. So that was the that was the goal, and I think we've gotten pretty close to that in, in how we've engineered it. So you you touched on something really interesting there. So let's say I'm just hypothetical. You've got a thousand universities kind of on you know in the back office of your of your startup. So I'm taking a course from this university, I'm taking one from this one and this one and this one. So I'm gonna end up with 15 transcripts before I ever enter the university that I wanna enter. Or how have, you, how have you kind of systematized that, that transfer process or that you know, uh, matriculated, matriculation process or whatever? You, know, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, oh, are yeah, these courses yeah. tied to specific universities or is it just say, you're just taking intro to robotics, you don't know if it's University of Maryland or University of Grenada. You know, you don't know yeah, yeah. what's Good behind question. that. So the way that, so I, I, I would first to get everybody kind of in the right mindset, I would say that think of us as a modern alternative to a community college. So you start with that framework, right? Where you go to some entity to take courses and you go, but we're far better because I really feel that our position in the marketplace is because of the failure of the community college system. And I think because the community college system has a number of flaws, it's government run which means that they're never gonna be up to date on what's going on in the marketplace. They don't have a customer, right? It's just a service that's being provided mm -hmm. and it's gotta be provided to as many people as possible, like the post office. It's not going to be you know, custom tailored to a customer. Right. So they don't have, it's not online, it's not as accessible. They don't get the help that you need. So in our model, if someone comes, the courses are ours. So we built these courses. 
Um, so when you're taking the course at onlinedegree.com, it's not a university, it's with us and you're in our organization. We then work out pathways that universities accept those courses for credit when you enroll. So we're not a college. You know, we're, we're like this really cool organization that sits on the periphery that works with those colleges and we get the best of all worlds because of it. Mm -hmm. So when someone comes to us, let's say, for example, you want to, um, you want to get a computer science degree. You can come with us and knock out a computer science course, some of your GE, you know, some of your gen ed, right? History course, accounting, you know, what are these things are. And let's say then you can work and look at one of our university partners to transfer in and you, you, you've knocked out those credits. And then when we go above and beyond that is that we don't just stop with the courses. What I like, what I, what I realized with working adults too, is that they're not going to go out and fill out scholarships. Mm -hmm. right? that it just, it's, it's, it's not a good use of time. There's no guarantee you're going to get them. They're hard to get anyway. So we just go out and get discounts for our students. So right away, there's certain schools, well, they'll just give you a 10% discount, 20% discount right off the top. So when you start combining all these things and hacking your way, well, again, we're trying to bring order to that hacking, you significantly cut down the cost of your education, 40%, you know, things like that. Yeah. And if you take, I think you mentioned on another podcast, you can virtually take your first year, you know, you, you almost completed your first year by the time you actually enter a university. You know, you can do the first, maybe the first year worth of credits through your system before you ever get to a university. Is that correct too? Absolutely. And the thing that people don't, and the thing that I try to educate people on to dispense is it's not like a community college where it has to be done linearly. Mm -hmm. It can be done at the same time and you can get there faster. So, you know, with a community college, we all think, oh, you got to spend there two years. And after two years, you then go to exactly. that school. That's all gone now. Yep. You can come into our, our, our school, create a plan with the school that you want to go to, right? So let's say it's Southern New Hampshire University. I'm making it up. But let's just say you're, you want to go there. You work with their people and you say, I want to get there as fast as possible. Okay, perfect. Why don't you take these five courses at online degree, start taking courses with us, and you get there at the same time. Because we don't have the semester system. You can get there as fast as you want. Their courses the same way. So now you can get to your degree in a, a vastly faster way. Right, right. Is there, what about in-state, out-of-state tuition, if you're working with state universities or whatever, have you worked out some deals on the back end too, where you, you students out of state may get in-state tuition as a, as a break as well, or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the, one of the big schools we work with is uh, University of Maryland, which is like one of the top, you know, public schools right. in the country. Right. And they, they obviously have a far reduced rate for their residents. The, the discount that we get for our students is that same rate. Kind of the in-state rate. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's, so it's, that's, a, it's a big state. It's like 25. It's a considerable amount. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you've kind of outlined the benefit to the student. You've outlined the benefit to the timeline. You've outlined the benefit to the entrepreneur who's running this, this startup, I think. Give me the benefit to the schools. Yeah, that's You're right. That's the piece that most people don't see. Like, as you ask yourself, why are these universities willing to give you this ability to take away money from them, right? Like, why are they going to let you let them finish courses with you? Why are they going to give you discounts? And the secret is that people don't realize universities are desperate for good students. Mm. So back to your point, aside from that top 1%, the Harvards and Stanfords of the world where, yeah, their doors are overflowing for people internationally. All of the other universities are always looking for great students. And when I mean great, I mean students who are motivated to finish their program. 
we're going to go all the way. They're not going to drop out. It's a big problem. People yep. don't realize. Huge. Uh, yeah. Um, students that have already gone through these acclimation programs so that when they arrive, they don't have to take up as many university resources. I know how to use a modern learning management system online. I don't need a lot of extra student support services to get off the ground and running. Those are expensive to mm -hmm. provide. Yep. So there's all these benefits that we provide. We're almost like the minor leagues in a way. <laughs> it's a weird analogy, but when, as you move through as a student through the program, getting all your benefit, you're inherently becoming a better student and more valuable to the universities. And that's how the system works. And you've got a track record. I mean, a, a university can look at you and say, you know, for the last year, you have taken, you know, 22 hours and you've done well in those classes and they are university level classes. It's not, you know, some place you've never heard of that, you know, off offshore that that is just kind of a degree factory, you know, so you've actually right. learned, you know, during the process. But um, so other than that, is there are there other benefits to the universities other than just just kind of getting good students into the system? Is it is it another revenue stream for them as well? Well, for them, it's a big recruitment thing because you're right. If you're going to go out and, well, I'll say this, the typical resume application process for the universities is no longer a efficient tool to determine if you're going to get a good student or not. Because everybody knows, you know, an application process is a very defined kind of thing and everybody knows how to game it. You know, when you're right. filling out an essay, I've always wanted to go to this school or, you know, whatever these canned responses are, mm -hmm. they no longer are a good indicator of the success of the student. Yep. But like you said, if I've taken, if I'm an adult and I've taken six courses here, done well, I'm motivated in a very short period of time. Well, now they know that you've proven yourself and that you are going to be a good student. And so that's the student that you want and that where you're going to try to recruit and spend your, your dollars on, as opposed to just anyone coming off the street. They've not only proved that to the university, they've proved it to themselves. Yeah, that, exactly. I mean, these, especially these are, you know, late, late life, you know, second act, you know, people that are, that are kind of retraining, you know, themselves, you know, for a new workplace. Um, it's, it's difficult to step back into the education system. I mean, if you've been out of it for 15 or 20 years and, and you're stepping back into that, that's a, that's a very difficult process. Oh, know, yeah. I know. Technologically. What's amazing. What's amazing is how difficult, like, they haven't made any easier. And that was what was mm -hmm. shocking to me. Because you're right. Yeah. I'm thinking, as, if, you're, if you're a busy adult, one, we don't ever talk about this as adults, but we're very stubborn and, we're, and we don't change. So it's really difficult to, to break your routine when you come home every night, you grab a drink, you have dinner, you sit down on the couch to, to break out of that mold. We're yep. really stubborn. Yep. And then too, like you said, we become more prideful. And we're not going to just go into some classroom with a bunch of young kids and feel that we don't know anything and be embarrassed if we fail the first test. So there's all these anxieties yep. that you get that these can absolutely be solved with online education, kind of like a, a like an online degree platform where you could take some courses. Um, yeah. So you, you nailed it. That's it. So I, I mean, I could continue, I could just draw, keep drawing information out of you all day long and just forget that we're recording a podcast episode and we're just, you know, two dudes chatting on, on something we both are interested in. But I'm, I'm curious, what's, what's the next step? What's, you know, look into the future two, three, five years from now, what's it going to look like? You know, interestingly, I think, you mean for, for the business or the industry? Yeah, for, I'm, more for your business. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, we did something very interesting right before COVID where a university approached us and said, hey, we want to, we, have you ever done anything with certifications? And I hadn't. 
because I'm, I'm, I came from outside the industry. I'm, you know, I, I've had to learn right. everything. And so certification is something where, let's say in healthcare, you either far shorter, six months, or far cheaper, a few thousand dollars, and you get a really great um, career in a growing industry. Right. And you have to get Very trained though. Very concentrated, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So um, we've opened that up and that's the big thing is that now for our work adults, you know, not everybody needs a degree. Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of times you may need one because you either in your job, there may be a, um, uh, a heavy emphasis placed on an advanced degree or just having a degree right. or a job that necessitates it, a teacher, accountant, something like that. But for, for many people, it's really just a conduit to a better life and to mm-hmm. make more money. And so a certification is in many cases more appropriate. So I'll give you an example. Medical billing and coding, something that very few people even know what that is outside of that space, is a great job where essentially every time you, a patient comes in, there's this very complex coding system so that they can submit that bill to the insurance company and then the doctor gets paid and everybody's happy. Right. These professionals are paid very well, good mm-hmm. salaries, just requires a certification. And we've got this, these great programs that people can take that are very affordable. So that's the next wave. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see this very big divergence where from today, where you've got uh, more heavy online focus with degree programs and then a very heavy certification focus um, for people who don't want to take that path with great jobs and access. But you, but again, still need a lot of training. So I think that's the next big thing. I, it's interesting. That was, that was a little bit of what I was alluding to about the kind of the whole hack your education idea was, was, you know, I'm thinking about companies like, you know, Google and Warby Parker and places like that that are actually starting to hire people that do not have college degrees, but may have, you know, specialized, like, like you said, certifications or, or really specific experience and, and just the area they, they need them in. The downside is that if you don't like what you're doing, you're kind of stuck in a, in a pretty yeah. narrow pathway, or, you know, maybe you've got a glass ceiling on, you know, how, how far you can go beyond that that kind of entry level, you know, job that they would hire you for. But I love the, I love the diversity of, of thought, you know, in your space of, you know, what does it look like? We're, we're trying to, to really meet market demand. We're trying to really understand yeah. our, you know, what's our, our avatar, what's our, our ideal client asking for, what's the itch they want us to scratch, you know, type things. So what else other than the certificate program or just kind of pontificate into the future a little bit and, and say, yeah, we're going to, uh, we, we anticipate that this is going to 10x in the next five years. You know, I'm going to be exiting again and open that t-shirt shop down in Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one day. <laughs> no, it really, I, I, it really is that certification. That's going to be big. You know, mm-hmm. I, it, it would, I'd have to give probably as equally as long a uh, podcast about why this is the case, but um, it's I'll just call strange... you in about three months. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, do, yeah, exactly. we'll do a we follow-up. Yeah, we could. <laughs> a strange convergence of circumstances where there's this huge market need to your point where there isn't a real good, like for example, we hear about the Googles of the world in the tech space with people mm-hmm. who are coders, right? right? Well, if you know how to program, why do you need a college degree? And, and some of that has happened within the, the, uh, the tech community, but it's so vast in almost every aspect of the economy past that. Like healthcare is a great example. Yep. You know, you don't, do I really need a college degree to be a nurse? Well, no. I could just be, I mean, like, you know, we're, you're bringing into question all these right. things of these right. roles, highly technical specified roles. That's the future. Yep. And I think that we're really at the forefront to be able to offer something because no one's doing a great job 
meeting that, that demand. Well, Grant, it's, it is what an exciting space. Um, you know, just it's, it'll be really interesting to kind of follow you and, and see, you know, what, what your company grows into and in kind of the next iteration. And, you know, I mean, we're in such a rapidly changing world anyway. I mean, it's, it's quantum change, you know, that happens um, at, at, at pace. And it sounds like to me that you're, you're not only trying to adapt to the current circumstances, but really prepare to what, for, for what that next step is going to look like as well, and maybe even beyond that. But I just really appreciate you taking the time today and just really unpacking, you know, just life philosophy and business philosophy and kind of the backstory behind, you know, your online uh, degree program, onlinedegree.com. And is that the best place to find you? Yeah, well, Dan, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be on, really. And I, I could talk about this for days. I, like you said, just like having a beer with you right now <laughs> on, on a podcast. Uh, yeah, you know, it, I mean, if they want to follow the project, even if, you know, this is not applicable for someone, but just kind of keeping up with it, you can go onlinedegree.com and then onlinedegree.com slash certifications is the new certifications uh, section we've got. Um, and then, you know, LinkedIn is really the great place to yep. uh, connect with me. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I connect with a lot of people on there. Well, Grant, well, like, like I said, thanks again for just taking the time today just to kind of unpack your story. It's been great hearing that and, and really just, you know, aiding in kind of the whole ethos behind our podcast, and that is to help all boats rise in a rising tide. Grant, thanks again. Yeah, thank you for having me. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.